we too often stop short of just before and a technique or an approach has given on it could grab the low-hung fruits. So go one step further. So find new depth into what you already do. Hello, all my lovely creatives. Thank you for joining me on the Sage Arts Podcast. This is Sage. I am going to be joined shortly by our guest. I would say over the pond. I don't know what they say in France. (laughs) Well, the guest from Europe. So it's a fantastic conversation. We're going to be talking about shaking things up, mentally speaking, to kind of improve our creativity, improve our work, help us find our voice, that kind of thing. So in the meantime, just to get us started, I have been crazy busy. So if you're sending comments or whatnot on social media, especially I've had a hard time getting on there. It's been so crazy busy this week. As many of you probably already know, Southern California got all kinds of craziness (laughs) last weekend and it seemed to continue on through the week. Everybody seems to want to say that we had a hurricane. We did not have a hurricane. (laughs) It wasn't a hurricane by the time it got here. It was a lot of water is what it was. It was a huge storm, a tropical storm, which we haven't had. And I think it was 84 years since we've had one. So that was pretty dramatic. And I'm glad the news and everybody who was talking about it was a little overly dramatic, was a little kind of crazy. But the thing is, is everybody kind of stayed home. It reminded me of being in Colorado when there was an impending blizzard and we'd all just go to the store and and get all your snacks and get water and get everything that you need. And then just everybody goes home and stays there. So that's pretty much what happened is everybody stayed home. So there was very, uh, I think there was one fatality down in Baja, but otherwise we fared pretty well. There's a lot of roads that are damaged and various areas are still recovering from the amount of water that they got. We got about three and a half inches of my area. My sister got over six inches and this is in 24 hours. So that is a lot of water. Palm Springs, I don't remember how much they got, but because their land, it doesn't soak things up very well. They were completely flooded. Our national parks, uh, Death Valley in particular, um, sustained a lot of damage. But uh, as far as loss of life or injuries or whatnot, it was really very minimal. It was great that everybody stayed home because then we had an earthquake. And we're only about 20, maybe 20, 25 miles from the epicenter. So that's pretty close. And we also live on a kind of land that has a high liquefaction factor. I don't really understand the science of all that, but we were rock and rolling over here. I was <laughs> I was working because that's what I do. And the laptop was kind of skittering across the desk. So I was like, OK, <laughs> I thought I thought something was running across the roof initially. And I was like, no, nope, no, nope, that's not it. And it's not a truck. This is an earthquake. So that was fun. It's kind of funny how Californians are about earthquakes. They're really more like most of the time, just like little roller coasters that you get in your house. But uh, we're just used to them and they can be very scary. This one was actually pretty scary because it went on a little longer and I thought it was going to grow into something bigger, but it ended up knocking over a vase. And that was the extent of our damage, (laughs) as far as we can tell. So we are doing a lot of work on the house, which is also why this week's been so crazy. So I have been orchestrating all this stuff the last few weeks, and it's been like having a second job. And it's not like I need a second job. So in any case, that's been my week. It should slow down after this next week. Next week's like catch up on everything I haven't done this week. So for those of you who usually listen to this like first thing Saturday morning or late Friday or whenever I usually get it out, my apologies for this one being late. I just couldn't manage to do everything I had to do and do a good job on this. In any case, let's just take care of a few things before we join our guests. The chatter picked up this last week. I really appreciate that. Thank you for all your comments and your thoughts. I got a lovely note from Esther Ramiro. This was concerning the last episode on generosity. 
specifically the discussion around feeling selfish and maybe guilty about indulging one's love of creativity, if that's something that you face. Esther, she doesn't. (laughs) She says, I may be selfish and I don't feel guilty at all. I make art because it is like a therapy for me. It makes me happy. I share my art to inspire people and makes them happy by looking at nice art. Therefore, I make people around me happy too. That should be enough. Absolutely, Esther. And it's so nice and refreshing in our Western culture to recognize our right to do what makes us happy without apologies. Because the fact is, if we're happy, we can make other people happy. It adds to the betterment of the world through that. So thank you so much, Esther, for sharing your views and thoughts. If you'd like to share your own views and thoughts, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's good, bad, otherwise, send me whatever you'd like. You can do so by going to the show notes of this episode or by reaching out on the website at thesagearts.com, where you can go to the contact page to send me a message or to give back. You can stay on the homepage, scroll halfway down to find the Buy Me a Coffee and PayPal donation buttons. Or sign up for that news and notices newsletter by hitting the button at the top of the page. And don't forget to join on social media on Facebook or Instagram at the Sage Arts Podcast pages. I have not been doing reels (laughs) like I said I would. So I'm going to try to get that picked back up after things are a little quieter around here. So come join me there. Follow and comment as you see fit. Okay, so that's enough of that. Let's go join our guest. My guest today is Christine Dumont. She's a mixed media artist working in polymer clay and other complementary materials. She is also quite the educator and innovator, not just in techniques, but in design and the creative process in general. So I'm really happy to have you a chance to chat with you today, Christine. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Sage, I'm so chuffed to be here. Thanks oh. for having me. <laughs> <laughs> chuffed. I love that. Oh, well, I lived in the UK for a while, so right? I yeah. she yeah. brought crumbs along the way. I was yeah. going to say, because that's not French. You're in France now, right? Yes, uh, I live in Brittany, which is the, the part that sticks out on the French uh, <laughs> West Coast. Yeah, so you're in France. and Yeah, I've been around the block a few times. I've, been <laughs> in many con- <laughs> I've lived in many countries, but I think now we're settled here. For uh, yeah, so we're talking to you from France in the early morning and me very late at night. So we're we're very curious to see who's going to get tired first. <laughs> <laughs> it's a race, yes, right? right. <laughs> so, all right. Well, for the listeners here, let's let's get to know you a little bit. Why don't we first talk about your artistic and creative focus? What is it that you do as an artist and as a creative person? Well, my uh, creative focus is to help other artists deepen or get more enjoyment, or I would say, get more relevance out of their own creative journey. Yeah. And I use what I create as a tool to achieve that. Yeah. And you do this not just as an artist, but you've made a business out of this. Would you say that's correct? Yeah. Art has been my business for the past 16 years. And yeah. I must say, I'm, I'm really lucky to be able to make a living. Yeah. yeah. I had, I've been around the block professionally a few times as well. <laughs> Well, so you make art, but your focus in your business is more about the education. Yeah, I guess I've always, even as a child, I used to get my sisters together and I would (laughs) teach them when I was about (laughs) about six years old. Oh, (laughs) really? Wow. I had always this impetus to, to explain. 
Right. My university training is uh, IT, computer science, and I worked for many years as a software engineer. And so I didn't do much teaching there. But yeah. uh, when I embraced art as a career, uh, teaching came hand in hand. And so that was totally unexpected. Yeah, you've had quite the journey. Let me ask you a couple of background questions about yourself. You, you create art, primarily art jewelry, and you have a business teaching. Do you have other passions besides the art and the teaching that do you think defines you? Yeah, and I love the challenge. <laughs> getting getting better at things or discovering new things is what really motivates me. But I'm a lead investigator in a class action lawsuit. You're a lead investigator? <laughs> you know, I don't know why that doesn't surprise me. It's, it's white-collar crime. So I've become a specialist in investments. Oh, that's so crazy. <laughs> and this is just a small yeah. sampling, folks, of the craziness of Christine's life. So I have other passions. I love cooking Moroccan and Middle Eastern food. I lived in those countries, and I also have a large garden to look after. And last but not least, I'm very devoted to my family. You keep busy. Yeah, the one thing that's always impressed me about you is that you're always very intense. You don't do anything halfway. Very impressive. So speaking of family, tell us, how do you think your family or friends see what uh, you do? How would they describe what you do for a career? Well, let's say that, you know, she's always traveling off somewhere and we'd right. love to see more of her, but uh, <laughs> she looks like she's happy doing what she does. So, so good. So they're you not know. sure, but they're just happy for you. Well, I have so many siblings, you know, I have like spare siblings. Yeah, spare, no, I, so, so, I have some spare so siblings too. We could trade. <laughs> <laughs> and so some of them are quite impressed with what I do. Uh-huh. And some of them just can't kill us. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have the same siblings. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So I, I always ask this question, and I almost wasn't going to ask you this question about being a planner or a pantser. Um, because well, like, I don't really know the answer. Um, uh, insanely much, I'm a planner. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's beyond for me, beyond conception. I mean, I can't imagine living your life, you know, not planning. However, as you're gonna dig further into my life, you're gonna see that I've done punishing things wearing the pantser's hat. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you have some spontaneity in there. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm a mixed bag. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we've been kind of dancing around your journey and all the things that you've done. So can you briefly tell us, when did you first find that you liked to create things? And how did you get from there to what you're doing now? Well, my dad was an architect. And uh, so we grew up in a culture of seeking beauty and all that stuff. So our idea of traveling with my parents was to go and visit museums all the time. So, you know, Great. that was very much ingrained and my mom was an art lover. But then uh, at the age of 18, I was then living with my family in Morocco. When I finished high school, uh, I said to my parents, so, listen, I, I don't want to continue living my life in French. I want to speak English. That's oh. what I want to do. So I'm going to say goodbye to you. <laughs> and I'm going to... You're so independent. <laughs> yeah. I was 18, and my family's Belgian, even though we lived in Morocco. The idea was to eventually come back to Belgium, and I would have started university in Belgium, but I said, no, 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 I'm going to go off to Canada. And I studied computer science in Canada. I, I thought about 
you know, a career in art. So I registered at the University of Toronto, the arts program, fine arts. And I took a few courses, but eventually the computer work was so intense that I left that behind. And so I worked for a long time as a software engineer and then as a management consultant where I learned business skills. And then I, as so many people do, I got into burnout and I thought I have to reinvent myself. Yeah. And so I taught myself screenwriting and, but not an easy life. I don't regret having spent so much time writing because I learned so much about screenwriting that I'm using now in my current career. But writing is terribly isolating. And, and one day uh, I lived in Canada and I was crossing the street waiting for the light to turn green. And I thought to myself, you cannot continue living this way. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I, I looked around and these people were coming out of the store looking so happy. And I said, I want what they have. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't care what it is. This is the panzer in here. Yeah. I don't care. I want what they have. So I, I went and looked at what the store was, and it was a jewelry store. So I walked into the store, and I said to the, the owner, I said, can I show you my jewelry collection? So the owner said, well, it's actually my husband who does the buying. So come back on Tuesday. Uh, I said, I'll be back Tuesday. Come home and said to Mike, Mike, I'm a jeweler. He says, what's wrong with you? That's not <laughs> that's not who you are. I said, you're not happy with me as I am. I, you know I'm terribly unhappy. I have to change something. So he says, okay, it's not you, but what can I do to help you? I said, well, drive Miss Daisy. Take me to the beat store. I got to get working on this. And so I picked some beats to make a long story short. When back on Tuesday, it was five pairs of earrings. That was my jewelry collection. <laughs> and you so, the buyer says, well, that's that's good. Where are the pendants? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's coming. It took about four, four weeks to put together because, I mean, I had no experience and jewelry were so far from my interest. So I like how you just went backwards. You went and tried to get a connection in the jewelry world and then you went and learned how to make jewelry. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's uh, <laughs> inverted thinking, I suppose. But, you know, when you're desperate... She'll do anything. <laughs> Just a bold move. So this guy said to me, uh, Christine, yeah, okay, that's fine. I'll sell your pedants, but let me give you some advice. If you want to get anywhere, you have to make your beats. Anybody can go into the beat store and string beats. Yeah. I said, you're right. And so I did uh, market research. What's the cheapest way to get into jewelry? Ah. <laughs> because I thought, you know, you still don't know whether you're like to do this. Yeah. And so the guy who sold me the beads, he was a gemologist and quite well versed into all aspects of jewelry. Bless him. He told me try polymer clay. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. For a gemologist. So I found a block of uh, polymer clay. It was hate at first sight. Ah. <laughs> 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 Like, God, what am I going to do with this stuff? And I thought, okay, you're not going to lose your way once more. Stick to it. So I stuck to it. And, and now I can't disengage from polymer. Right. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I still discover so many stuff about polymer clay that, and I think it's a wonderful media to teach design. So that's, you know, that's my, you know. I think most of the people who find their art medium, it's, it tends to be kind of incidental. Yours was much more intentional, except that it just kind of came from the side. Uh, that was that's a pretty incredible story that you have to to get to where you are now. So, 
Is there anything about this path that you took, anything that you've done or made or perceived that you wish you had done maybe from the start of your career? No, no. Actually, um, I think that my stars are lined up in the right position. Great. Because all the things I learned during my sort of checkered career, (laughs) (laughs) are so useful now. You know, my computer skills, I've used them to uh, build a platform. That was before using Facebook as a platform for mm-hmm. teaching. I'm using a lot of logic in how I approach my work with my students. The skills I learned in screenwriting, the importance of timing, for instance, uh-huh. Yeah. all these things have, you know, rounded me in some ways. So I feel confident in what I do, not because I have experience, but because I have self-reliance. I mean, I know how I can learn. I don't know something. I can go and find it. Right. And I also have my own life experience. I know what it's like to be unhappy with your art or having difficulties with certain aspects of it. And because I had difficulties with it too. Yeah. So I can be more to my my students. Connect with their experience. Yeah. 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 So now I'm really happy how things happen. Okay. I perhaps I'm the happiest now in my career. So it's great. It's all about that. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So when we first started talking, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you listeners, but I spend time with the artists first determining like kind of the subject matter, the things that we want to talk about, things that we have an interest in collectively. And you and I talked about mindset, like the way people think and being able to change one's mindset and finding ways to think differently. So let's start with your definition of what this is, this subject matter that we're talking about. What kind of change in the artist's mindset were you referring to? I, I want to talk about a model of the mind that I use, which is organic, I think. And it's, uh, do you know Edward de Bono, lateral thinking? Edward de Bono, yeah. You know what lateral thinking is? Yeah, basically creative problem solving. He's perhaps the first person to look at thinking as a skill. Yeah. He came up with this lovely metaphor for the brain, the gelatine model. So think of the brain as a gelatin dish. Like gelatin, like jello? Jello. Okay. Yeah, jello, okay. like blobby. Yeah, like yeah. Blobby. Sort okay. of quaking, shivering mass. Okay. And what you learn in your experiences are like hot ink that you pour on that gelatin. The hot ink creates grooves. The following day, same experiences deepen the groove. So after a while, those grooves are so set that it's impossible to think in a different way. So that's basically what's happening with the brain. The synapses are creating such established and such strong linkages that it's difficult to change that. You either create a separate network of uh, grooves or you try to overlay a new network over existing grooves. Or you do lateral thinking, which is basically create a shunt from an established group. I did a master's degree in cognitive science, and it's about, for instance, to spend a lot of time learning about vision and how the eye perceives, and that's lateral thinking in the sense I apply that to design. Right. But I want to talk about a major groove in that gelatine model. It's the fear groove in artists. Yeah. There is such a strong, strong groove there, which is so difficult to overcome. We are fearful of so many things. You know, we are afraid of 
taking ownership of our design, we're taking ownership of what people are going to think about, or we're fearful of the likes, or not. It's not just for the artist, it's generalized. There is a risk involved with anything, and we're fearful of that. So that's to me, is one of the main things I'm trying to work with, with my students, and to find ways of alleviating the fear and filling that groove with more productive grooves, yeah. filling it with other ideas, you know, so that they don't think about the fear, but their mind is focused on other more productive thoughts, like, am I happy doing what I'm doing? How could I enhance my happiness doing it? Sure. And if you fill your mind with so much more interesting and happy thoughts, you stop thinking of the fear. Right. Is this something that you've done personally for yourself, remodeling your brain? And how did that work for you? Do you know how fearful I was when I walked into this jewelry store? You didn't sound fearful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did it. You know, I think I've done that quite a few times. Mm-hmm. But for instance, I was terribly, terribly shy in my life. Well, I can't keep living my life being afraid of presenting myself to other people and speaking, especially if I'm going to be a teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I thought, okay, so what do you suggest, Christine? I said, okay, Christine, this is what you're going to do. You're going to learn how to say, yeah. and then if, <laughs> I was hoping you'd bring up gonna, this story. <laughs> you need to sing in public, okay? So uh, I, I took singing lessons, which was great because again I learned so many new things. And after a while, I, I thought, okay, I'm good enough. And then we had moved back to Canada, and there was a hotel where you had like an open mic once a week. So I just showed up there standing. <laughs> I was so scared. But now he can't shut me up. <laughs> you say you're fearful, but you do these things that other people, the fear would stop them. So your ability to just move forward through the fear, is that something innate in you or is that something you had to learn? Oh, I had to learn that. Yeah. But again, you know, you have known me only post-fear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe it's ingrained in how I see the world, but if you've got a problem, solve it. Don't live with it for the rest of your right, life right. because there are other things to do than just dwell in fear. Yeah. So I'm I'm very deliberate, intentional to work yeah. in identifying problem and identifying solutions. So has that been something you've done all your life? I mean, the problem arises and you try to find the solution. Has that been since you were young? Yeah, I have mindset that says if there's a problem that if you're facing chaos, try to find a structure in it so you understand it. And just through the understanding without necessarily trying to fix it, you make friends with chaos. You make friends with a difficult situation. Yeah. Okay. So some of it sounds like you had some of the tools you would need to remodel your brain yourself. And so now you're out there, you're teaching, you're trying to help people find new ways to think. You've done a lot of teaching. And to me, it's always been with an eye to introducing new concepts or maybe teaching old concepts that might be new to your students or pushing the students' ideas about art and what they create. Did you plan that as part of your class objectives and your approach? I act more like a mirror saying, I can give you tools. It's for you to decide whether you want to pick them up or not. Yeah. And I'm ferociously active towards, you know, remodeling, rewiring myself, but that is not, you know, in my mindset to do with other people. Okay. 
But I see people grappling with problems and my approach to them is to take them through frameworks, same frameworks I use, and see if that can help. Sometimes we have more options that we think. And so by showing them options, it's for them to decide. Yeah. But also we decide to take on a course of action if the person who presents this course of action shows they're happy having followed this. So I hope that by projecting happiness, people feel like they want to have what I have. Yeah, <laughs> right, that. right. I'm the jewelry store. That's, you know. <laughs> now you're the one behind the counter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but in the way you teach, you're offering them these tools and these options. And I know I've seen the results of people taking your class, where they started and where they end. And there's some really dramatic changes in the work that your students have been producing in the artwork that yes. they've done. Do you have like a favorite story about a student being able to turn around their thinking after taking one of your classes or something that reflects this approach to trying to do better with the artwork through mindset? I have so many examples of people <laughs> saying, yeah, I found my voice. So yeah, I got lots of that. And often the work shows the gratefulness because when people show you work they've done like two years after you've started the class. That means it stayed with them. Right. That in itself is gratifying. Yeah. Also, when you see somebody who's already got a style, but was able to lift that using some of our methods, Mm -hmm. you know, people can be very nice with words, but if they don't show it was the work, you know, (laughs) that's just what matters to me. But the most amazing feedback I've received as part of the Salmonat team is that just a couple of days ago, we had a meeting with this more Salmonat Nepali sisters. I think your audience knows about them, right? Well, if they listen to the interview with Wendy Moore, we talked significantly about the Salmonat Women in Nepal. It's an organization that helps women who have been abused domestically or trafficked or whatnot and are learning to be independent and make their own money. Yeah, some of them are learning the jewelry business with uh, Wendy, who started that right. a long time ago. And I joined the team about a year and a half ago. They basically complimenting the amazing work that they've been doing, which was to expose them to design. And uh, a couple of days ago, they showed us a necklace that they had completely conceptualized themselves. These people have an education system which is so different from ours, where yeah. compliance is the rule. Right. So they said, we're not only developing a skill, we are developing a sense of identity. We are artists. Yeah, that's great. Yes. I mean, rediscovering a new real life. Yeah. That's what matters. Yeah. Really. So yeah, that, that was, you know, the best accolade. Yeah. The, a lot of those women had no personal identity. Uh, yeah. They're nobody. They were a possession yes. or they belonged to somebody. So to have that through the work that they've been doing, through the jewelry that they've been making, through the art that they've been making, that's wonderful. Yeah. And also they're like a hive. They have a collective approach to art. Right. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, you know? it really is. Have there been difficulties, things that you've run into with students that just were resistant to finding new ways to think about what they're doing? Well, I think if they were to give an assessment of who I am, I think they would say her classes are difficult yeah. because I take the business of what I'm doing very seriously and I get a my way to help people. And if you don't have the same commitment, 
it's more difficult to engage. But yeah. I'm not judgmental. I know that a lot of people do this because they have a need to network and it gives them a way of connecting with people. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm okay with this, but perhaps these people will have more of an issue with how I engage with them. In the classroom. In the classroom, yes. When you open the door to design, you are asking people to take responsibility for their work, which is quite different from when you're teaching a technique, because teaching a technique is basically replicating something that you have been taught to do, and then you can find variations on your own. But when you're teaching design, they have to engage with what they like they see in design that is defining their view of the world. And that takes confidence and it takes commitment. And so that is the step that I find difficult as the Rubicon, if you want. Yeah, uh, People have to make that jump and say, okay, this piece, people might not like it, but it reflects who I am. And I'm going to stick with that. And I'm going to develop that until you know, find a happy compromise between what I like and how it's received. So yeah, that's, I think, a difficult challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. Because people have to like dig down. They have to face things they may not be comfortable with about themselves or just being able to have that feeling like their opinions may not be correct or right. And it's like, well, this is what you like. No one else has to like it. Yeah. And there's a practical issue. You cannot explain design over a period of two days. Right. And that's why during COVID, I was able to run these classes over two months minimum. And that's what it takes to open that door and take the time. And what's so wonderful that they're supporting each other. Whereas when you're teaching a class and then over a period of two days and leave, yeah. there isn't this internal interaction either. Yeah, right. So group learning is really, really helpful when you're working with topics of design. Yeah, it's supportive and it keeps it alive for them because they know other people are doing the same thing as they are. I'm absolutely with you on that. Yeah, that's the difficulty yeah. of, of doing the things that we do where we only have a limited time. Like I only have an hour for a podcast, you know, so I can only say so much. So yeah, like right now I'm doing a little bit of design at the beginning of each month, hoping that people will focus on it for the month. But you're right, when there is a community, when there are people to connect with on it, you're just going to spend more time with it. And it's going to be kind of a top of the mind subject for that time period, right? Yeah. I think all of us who have been making efforts to teach design, especially where people aren't necessarily trained in the arts when they come to it, sometimes it's an uphill battle, yeah. but definitely worthwhile. One of the main difficulty I face when I'm exploring design with my students is that we are no longer in a situation where we analyze a piece and say this piece works beautifully because there's enough contrast or there is unity or that we can analyze pieces until the cows come home. Sure. And it's when you are in the room with them and they're bringing their various elements and they come to you and say, this doesn't sing. How do I make this sing? Moving forward, you have to think really fast on your feet. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, you're going to say, this is what I like. You've got to put these pieces together the way you like. And they do, and it doesn't sing. So you say, well, I would do that. Oh, yeah. How'd you do that? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's because it's who you are that you've been able to get in touch and identify 
those things about what you like. And then the understanding of design through time. Yeah, I've had the same experiences with people. Design is a really difficult thing to teach because it's not an individual concept. It's a practice. It's a practice. It's an ongoing experience. And as an artist, if you are teaching, you pursue your own meanderings to all these principles and right. the one you like, and you have your way of doing this. Yeah. But when you are trying to explore design with other people, you can't just stick to what you like. You've got to have a much broader right. view of things and uh, embrace things that is not your taste, yes. but has merit. So that is certainly a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think for all of us, yeah. You know, you said once to me, I really love this phrase. You said that you see design as practical friends for artists. Now, is that something that you try to get people to experience when you're teaching these concepts of design? Have you figured out a way for people to see design as practical friends for them? Yeah. First of all, I don't send them off on the internet to look at principles of design. I made them discover, for instance, in a piece, elements of art. I don't tell them elements of art are this. They discover what they are. It's all about they discover. So uh, I try to make things that use example that they can directly relate to. And so it's never didactic. It's never theoretical. I use the Socratic method with them. Uh, I say, so tell me how you feel about your piece. Uh They'll say, well, I'm not sure. Okay. What is it you're not sure about? Is it the color? All the things we talked about regarding value. And in the end, they discover what's wrong. Yeah. And so I said, what I've done with you, you do it with yourself now. Next time you're facing a piece that's meh. So they rehearse. And I find a really important thing to do with them is to say, okay, this is what I see in your piece. Art is communication. You're doing something and you expect some feedback. And the feedback is so hard to get for most people. So I said, yeah. this is how I emotionally react to your piece. I find it peaceful, thoughtful, mysterious, blah, blah, blah. It's the feedback that matters. Mm -hmm. Many people have a problem, and myself too, in translating emotion into design decisions. It's kind of like a thing where like, you're trying to explain emotion with logic. Sure. Because if you try to think about design while you're trying to translate emotion, it's like when I write poetry, I try not to be too awake. So I tend to do it when I first wake up because it takes me like hours to actually be lucid. But I don't want the logical side in the mix while I'm creating my poetry because it doesn't click. Yeah. And I find that to be true with art as well. That thinking about design as you initially create doesn't, at least for me, I mean, there's probably some people it works for great, but it is trying to do two things at once and to rather oppose things at once. Right. And then bringing the logic in later as a problem solving um, yes. series of tools. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I must say that now over the years, I'm becoming more intuitive with my art. Mm -hmm. It's, it's yeah. less of a logical game, right. <laughs> but it, you know, it takes time. Yeah, but that's why it's a practice, because you need to practice it in order that the logical brain doesn't get in there. If you're yeah. trying to talk about emotion, it isn't a yeah. logical experience. So trying to translate it logically doesn't always get to the essence of what that emotion is, because you're using like the wrong language to try to explain it. 
And you need to feel yeah. it. Like if you can feel your art as you're making it, if you have a particular emotion that you're trying to convey and you can actually like feel out yeah. your work. Yeah. But what a hard thing to teach, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't pretend that I can teach them everything. I think I can just etch them on their way kind right. of thing. You know, just move them along and a bit and somebody else would come along. Serendipity will come along and provide what they need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of going back to this idea about thinking differently, do you have any practical steps that listeners can take to help them get some lateral thinking going, remodeling, <laughs> all these new words we're throwing around? <laughs> is, there, is there something that they can do to help them think differently that would increase their enjoyment and maybe even the authenticity and uniqueness of the work that they're creating? Well, you'd be surprised if I did have anything. I would be very surprised if we didn't have anything. <laughs> okay. So I've got three major approaches. The first one is to do something different. The second one is to embrace contradictions. And the third one is to be different. Okay. So let me take those in turn. So to do something different, you can engineer change or you can let change happen organically. Right. So I, I practice both. You know, uh, obviously me walking into this jewelry store was both. It was uh, it was an engineer change. I have to do something <laughs> different. What was it? I was unhappy. Why was I unhappy? Because I was lonely. What were these people doing? They were having a common experience. They were talking to each other. I wanted that. So yeah. that was the engineer side. Then deciding to become a jeweler that was organic. I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. You know? So I am very strongly opinionated about if there's something that doesn't work, find what the problem is, address it, and take the time to sit down and do it. Yeah. Don't let it just simmer forever. The thing about let change happen organically, you just change the context in which you work. For instance, like very recently, I decided I was really stuck on form. I thought, how can I invent form? I'm thinking, well, but there's that form that's better. I'm wavering between these two forms and doing nothing, right? Uh -huh. So I thought, okay, how can I change that? I'm going to go in and scavenge for, for wood pieces in the woods, and they will give me the form instead of inventing mm -hmm. my own right. form. So, yeah. so I did a bunch of pieces using borrowed forms. And let the form speak. And then I can always go back to using these borrowed forms and translate them into polymer if I need to. Yeah. And that was line opening. That was really good. It was gorgeous organic learning here. So change your source of inspiration. You know, it's uh, your inspiration comes from Pinterest. <laughs> then, yeah, you're <laughs> kind of limited, honestly. <laughs> go and get face to face inspiration, go into the woods or going to museums and that's you know or travel travel you know, yeah yeah that's the best yeah so i'm going to move on to embrace contradictions that's yeah. a favorite of mine because you're a walking contradiction so. <laughs> <laughs> it, you can uh, uh contradict your own wisdom or mm -hmm. you can contradict received wisdom so for instance I was contradicting my own wisdom when I jumped in as a jeweler. Yeah. Because so, wearing jewelry was so foreign to me. <laughs> um, where you can find a lot of contradiction in received wisdom is focusing on the material that you use. For instance, I don't know if you know the jeweler, Terry Tulvanen. I don't think so. She makes a lot of jewelry out of wood, 
but she really works the contradictions between man-made and the natural world. So she overlays the wood with a lot of metal fabrication. And you see that and you see the tension between the two worlds. So that's a contradiction because, you know, you'd say, well, if I'm going to work yeah. with wood, I want the wood to shine or whatever. And how do you, how do you spell uh, her last name? T-O-L-V-A-N-E-N. T-O-L-V-A-N-E-N? Yeah. Okay, just wanted to make sure we caught that. And listeners, if you hear any other artists or references, remember all of those will be listed in the show notes. Yeah. Another very favorite artist of mine who actually got me thinking about art was Ursley Morley Price. She's a ceramicist, but she makes pots that are like a succession of veins, if you want, very, very fine veins. And nice. so her uh, undulating forms look like the effect of a breeze on a wave. I mean, so basically you transcend the notion that ceramics or earth is heavy and, and compact and you make these breezy productions. And a lot of other ceramicists have followed in her steps by making ceramics look fragile. And so the contradiction is you think your material is one thing and you make it look like another thing. So for me, it was to find poetry in polymer clay because polymer clay is not a poetic material to start with. And so that has always been a guiding principle for me, no matter what I've been doing it right from the beginning. Yeah. If you take uh, Matisse and Picasso, they traverse the world of painting and, and cut-ups. You know, that's uh, also a contradiction. I mean, they were mm -hmm. painters and to go and do cut-ups. Right. They embrace contradictions because that's mm -hmm. where you find the uniqueness. And so be different. And perhaps, again, in the be difference, there is a major contradiction to embrace. Be more of yourself. You know, we too often stop short of just before an, a technique or an approach has given on it could. You know, yeah. we grab the low-hound scoops. So go one step further. So find new depth into what you already do. You know, the, the grass is greener on your side of the fence. I believe that. Just keep digging. Yeah. Well, there's a number of teachers and various people who have said over the years, in my experience and just in general, that you should never just make something once or twice. You need to make it like 12 times or 20 times Yes. before you really learn what you're making, uh, what yeah. the design is, what you're trying to say. Yeah. So oftentimes we get into something that we're interested in. We make it once. I, I'm definitely guilty of this. And we're just excited about it. We make that one thing and we kind of see where it goes. And then we're like, oh, I want to go on to the next new thing. That's and right. You don't yeah. explore it fully. Yeah. But when people look at somebody who's so skilled and their work is so controlled, like their intention is very obvious and they've been able to create exactly what they want to create because they spend the time yeah. really working through what it is they're saying, what they're trying to do honing their skills, all those kinds of things. And doing new stuff and trying new techniques and new materials or not is very exciting. Yes. But it doesn't always get you to the point in the work or in the understanding of what you're doing that you could if you spent all that time with it. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so to be different, be the uh, different you. And there's yeah. <laughs> be complicit. <laughs> Be uh, completely different by surrounding yourself with people who are in, on the same wavelengths, going to give you the feedback you need, you know, elevate your conversation. And then oh, retrain yourself by creating new habits. 
like that's really heavy re-engineering. But for yeah. instance, uh, I've decided a year ago that uh, I needed to be an athlete. Oh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, the things you decide. <laughs> And then just go do. <laughs> okay. But this one seems to be really hard because I don't like exercise. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm trying to find all kinds of ways of motivating myself. So I have managed to achieve results, but I haven't, like physically, you know, I'm more shit and all that, but uh, I haven't managed to find happiness in it yet. <laughs> yeah. Which is going to happen eventually. <laughs> to the bottom of that one. So that's because it. It's a challenge. Yeah. It's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to do it. Well, that's great. There's steps in there that everybody could choose where to start and trying to just think differently and, and find different paths that will grow their work and hopefully grow their enjoyment and fulfillment in their art. So thank you. Well, a couple little closing questions. So what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned over your career? Like for you personally, what is one thing that really strikes you and that might be something worth sharing? Resilience. Resilience, yeah. It means that I know that life is going to throw you lemons. Uh, yeah. Your heart throws you lemons. Everybody's, your sub just throw yourself lemons. But I'm developing methods to overcome that, you know, uh, by being more balanced. You know, if suddenly I couldn't do art because I lost my hands. Oh my gosh, okay. yeah. So it could happen, you know. It could happen. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it could happen. Well, I'll go back to singing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, got a lot to choose from, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I prepared it, you know, yeah. all kinds of horrible things can happen. So be prepared, create redundancy in your life. Yeah, I think that's been a subject matter on and off through the last handful of podcast episodes, just having a safety net or having a backup or having yeah. a plan B. The purpose of art is not always to make things. Yeah. It's to, to, to connect with yourself, sure, but also with the world. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean that in a very practical sense. You know, you go and look for wood in the forest, suddenly you discover all these things. You keep walking, you know, the woods around my house, discover all kinds of new things. I've always loved pigments. And that, you know, I started wondering where pigments originated from and how do you recognize pigments and which one are toxic and how what to look for. That's a <laughs> right. huge field. I wanted to make pieces that meant something moving to Brittany. I just figured out that I was living next to a slate quarry and oh. that the slate was shipped to Paris mm -hmm. to cover big historical buildings. So now I'm looking at the quarry next door and I'm thinking, yeah, I traveled all the way through the river system. That's amazing. I get to appreciate my surroundings. And I think that's the purpose of art is to connect you to the world. When you go travel, you're not just going to restaurants, you're going to... <laughs> I mean, the food's good. It's good to go That's check out the food, but... <laughs> yeah, sure. But there's more to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's the reason why you become an artist, yeah. to love the world more. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. So for you, what is your definition of success for yourself? Uh, there's this trite answer, which is to rise to every challenge. Right. <laughs> can come to <laughs> But my definition of success is to really develop balance because it's through this balance that you achieve resilience and derive joy from what you do. So if you're pursuing a business at the expense of your own happiness, well, sometimes you have to do this because you've got to make a living. But yeah. if you have a choice, you know, life is about balance. You need to have many interests. Yeah. You need to yeah. have physical interests, you know, like moving 
gardening, blah, blah, blah. You need to have intellectual ones. You need emotional ones. Right. And even if it's, you know, like like some people do have to work hard and may right. not always be happy, but you can always work towards balance. It's always something to have as a goal. You have to make sacrifices sometimes today. Mm-hmm. Say right. I have to devote all my effort to my business because I need to establish it. That, yes. You know, right. I, I did do that. Yeah. But yeah. Also, I think try to examine how you can hold other interests into your primary interest. Right. Often as artists, we have trouble reinventing us or, or renewing what we make simply because we, keep, we have so much trouble looking outside our rut. Or thinking our market isn't going to accept us if we change. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell listeners what it is that you're doing currently? Do you have any upcoming projects or classes that we should know about and how to find you? Okay. Okay. Uh, well, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Christine Dumont, or you can find me on Instagram under Christine underscore G underscore Dumont. G okay. for George, because my middle name is George. George. I don't oh. know why, but... <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> and then you can email me at C-D-U-M-O-N-T at allovercreation.net. And I'll put these links in the show notes if people need to look them up too, yeah. And I'm planning to mentor a very small group of artists, and the title is Creativity Unleashed. The idea is to have bi-weekly Zoom meetings, like every other week, during which I share my techniques of and insight to assist participants in recognizing and addressing counterproductive patterns of thinking. So together we'll work towards nurturing and developing more productive, creative habits. All right. I'm thinking of starting the second week of November. Okay. Good. Yeah. So if you're interested, contact me via email and be aware that seats are limited and some seats are filled already. Well, okay. Yeah. And basically, if you like what I said during this podcast, I will go into more details using remodeling techniques. And then you still have the Voila group on Facebook? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And Voila, you can see how people have used mostly uh, my materiality class. Yeah. And what they've made out of that and see the variety of expression. It's really interesting to see people's progression and and where they've gone since then, too. So great. All right. Are there any last words, anything we didn't cover that you might have wanted to tell my listeners? No, I just think that people have to keep learning and keep growing. Right? (laughs) I am so with you on that. (laughs) So with you on that. All right. Well, Christine, thank you so much for joining us today and for talking through all these stories of yours and your ideas about remodeling and (laughs) not quite teaching. (laughs) You've rewired your brain really well, Sage. I'm I'm, I'm pretty nimble up there. In the in the gelatinous mass, so <laughs> isn't that a lovely model? <laughs> it is. It is. It's great. It's perfect, and it's such a great visual too. Well, thank you so much, Christine. I really appreciate Please. joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I just love being here. So, what do you think? Are you ready to do something different? Embrace contradictions and just be different. It's definitely something that would take some conscious effort, but I think. Honestly, all that stuff sounds like fun. (laughs) Something to try, something new, something to push how you think. That lateral thinking conversation really sparked ideas for me because although I talk about thinking outside of the box or talk about 
just looking at things differently. It really is a way of identifying where your ideas are coming from. And since lateral thinking is problem solving, it's like if something's directly in front of you, like a brick wall, you can think more traditionally or I can't remember what the terminology is, but that you go straight to the wall. You want to get through the wall. You want to break down the wall because it's in the way. Lateral thinking is you thinking, okay, how can I get around the wall or can I climb the wall or can I dig under the wall or can I go catch a train to the other side of the continent and come back that way? You know, (laughs) it's really thinking in extremely different ways than just straight ahead. And if you can do that with your artwork, I think you can find some really interesting new concepts to motivate you and inspire you and really take your work up a notch or just hone what it is that you're doing right now. So if you want to look into lateral thinking, that might be something to investigate because it really is an interesting concept that I think as creatives, we all do. But being aware of it sometimes really makes a difference in us being able to call on that when we need it. So I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Christine. I know with a French accent (laughs) and our tiredness, maybe things might be a little difficult at moments to hear if that's true. There's always a transcript of the podcast. Uh, well, definitely on the sagearts.com episode pages and most of the podcast players have access to it. But if you don't find it where you're listening, you should be able to find it on the sagearts.com. Go to the episodes pages and then go to this episodes. Now, usually I have transcripts run through an AI transcriber, but it can be uh, a little off at moments, <laughs> to say the least. I'll actually go through this one myself and edit it so it can be read correctly. But in any case, give me a few days. If you're listening to this as soon as it's released, I'm going to need the weekend at least to get that done. But in the meantime, if you would like to send me your thoughts about what we just talked about, I'd love to hear from you again. You can go to the show notes or the description, whatever it's called in your podcast player and find links to the places where you can contact me like the sagearts.com where you can go to the contact page there and send me an email. There's also Facebook and Instagram. Just look for the Sage Arts podcast pages. And as mentioned at the beginning, if you're enjoying the episodes and you find value in what I'm doing here, consider giving back by going to the sagearts.com website. We're halfway down the homepage. You'll find buy me a coffee or PayPal donation buttons also in the show notes. And if you want to help spread the word about this podcast, you can share anything that I post on the social media pages or in the newsletter. And it really helps also to hit that follow button on your podcast player. The more follows we have, the higher up we appear on search lists. So that helps get more people in on the conversation with us. And on that note, I am going to run off and do a hundred other little things I have to do. So go off and try to think differently and be different and embrace those contradictions. Feed your muse with new experiences, be true to your weirdness, and join me again next time on the Sage Arts Podcast.